0: We're going through the book of Luke so that we can see who Jesus is and so that we can understand who we really are. I hope you realize when you get dig into the Bible, you don't just learn about God and Jesus. You learn about yourself in ways that you would not have seen or concluded on your own. We're going through Luke to see Jesus and to really understand who we really are are and how he's called us to live while we're here on this earth. And when you start listening to Jesus, we're going through the gospel of Luke so that we can listen to Jesus instead of the noise and chaos of our world. We want to hear Jesus. Listen to me. When you start listening to Jesus, you will hear some things that will challenge the way you'd been thinking and change the way you'd been seeing everything around you. Including other people. And today's going to be one of those G- days because Jesus is going to challenge this whole idea, you ready? Of earthly family first. That's right. Get it off your license plate. As he points to the only forever family there will ever be the church of Jesus Christ. So turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and follow along as I begin reading in verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Of course, whoever brought this message is assuming they would get special privilege. He would drop everything and say, oh, mom. They're standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them. The Gospel of Mark has this same account. It says he waved his hand around. He motioned his hand like this and said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So what does Jesus want us to learn About the family that matters most. Well number one. He's telling us. Your church family is the only family. That's going to last forever. Look at verse 21 again. Because this is what I want to unpack a little more for you today. My mother and brothers. Are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now that's pretty radical. Because he's got his biological mother. And some of his brothers standing out side trying to get in and he just leaves them standing there while he makes this point so is this just some kind of pr hype to make us feel better about putting up with other christians oh i don't think so because jesus is the first one to use this family language but he's not the last The rest of the New Testament, you guys, takes its cue from Jesus and consistently uses family language, family language, family, mother, father, brother, sister, in all 13 letters to the churches around the world. In fact, if you're paying attention as you read your Bible, how much of it? Oh, say it louder all of it, you will see a huge shift. You will. You'll see a huge shift in emphasis from the biological family that the Jews made so much of to the family of God as you move from the Old Testament into the New. Check it out. Even those that want to make so much of earthly family, they do so with all Old Testament stuff. Don't hear me saying your earthly family doesn't matter, but I'm saying pay attention to what the Bible wants you to think. When you move from Old Testament to New Testament, you will see this huge shift in emphasis from the biological mom, dad, 2.4 children... To family of God. Call older men your father. Call older women your mother. Treat every other woman in the church as your sister. Treat every other guy as your brother. You'll just see it's all about slave and free together now. Jew and Gentile together. Black and white. It's about the family of God. That's what you see emphasized. And maybe even if you're thinking, but what about marriage, Brad? What about marriage? Isn't that a big deal? Oh, yes, it is a big deal. But even marriage that Ephesians chapter 5 lifts up as the only earthly relationship that puts on display the oneness of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church, is still temporary. Do you know that? Marriage will not last forever. For some of you, like, hallelujah. Others, I'm sad. Whatever your response is. This is the news you need to know. It will not last forever. There will not be marriage forever. God's using it right now. But even marriage is designed to depict something greater and better, greater and better. The love of Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, and his bride, the church. Of Jesus Christ. Right now, every believer is engaged to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is your big whopping diamond ring engagement pledge that you've been spoken for. You've been taken. Someone loves you. Someone is coming for you. Someone is preparing a place for you. All of that is supposed to be greater and better than anything that's happening. In this earthly world. And it doesn't mean now you'll treat your family poorly. You'll treat your... What it does is you can let up on your earthly family. You can let up on some of these relationships. When you truly understand your identity and what you have in Jesus Christ, you don't need as much from everybody else. And it's better for everybody. God does not give us this to cause us to abuse or dismiss or treat lightly our earthly relationships but to actually love them better. When you understand what you have, you can truly begin to love and not need as much in return and not put so many expectations on everybody else. John Piper says it well regarding marriage when he says this, quote, marriage and family are temporary for this age. The church is forever. I'm declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing. But being in God's family means being eternally blessed. Relationships based on family are temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Marriage is a temporary institution, but what it stands for lasts Forever. And so the Mormons, while I appreciate their emphasis on family, get it wrong. When they talk about a special baptism in a special temple that will make you married forever now. And your biological family can be together forever. I was sitting next to a Mormon on a plane recently, and his greatest sadness was that he had two kids that had not bought into the Mormon faith, therefore had not been baptized in this special way or wearing this special underwear so that they can all be together as a family forever. He knows they will not be there. It's all about family. Don't hear me saying I don't love my family. But the Bible doesn't teach that you didn't get that from the bible and sadly even some christians even some christians can be guilty of thinking this way talking this way and writing this way exalting biological family and even treating church family as if it's optional but worse detrimental I mean, there's, there's a little bit of writing today that almost acts like it's all about your biological family and, oh, church family. That's just going to hurt you because everybody there isn't doing the same thing. They're not saying the same thing. They're not, let's just pull back mom, dad, kids, our home, home church because I can't trust anybody else to say it just right. My kids must hear everything exactly like I think. Don't hear me saying we need us saying the Koran is the book and you say the Bible. Get out if that's the case. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things like over Halloween and Christmas and Santa. and News alert, secondary issues. But we've got Christians making all kinds of secondary issues, primary issues. God actually meant for your kids to be blessed by saying, oh, my goodness, wow. What is this thing called church? Because Mr. So-and-so thinks this. But my dad thinks this and she thinks this. My mom thinks this. But they all love Jesus and love each other. How could this happen? He meant for there to be a kaleidoscope of diversity that causes everyone, including your kids, to say, I don't see this happening anywhere else in the world. How could this be? It puts on display the main thing, the power of the gospel and Jesus and his kingdom. But let me speak to what some of you might be thinking right about now about this forever family. I have the same thoughts. I grew up in the church. I've been a pastor 35 years. I've been here 25. You think I'm still here because nobody's hurt me? Oh, my goodness. You think I'm still here because I haven't been disappointed? You think I'm still here because I haven't been attacked? My wife hasn't been hurt? Oh, that's not why we're still here, you guys. I see it as much as you see it. I'm here because of what God teaches and calls us to. And that hasn't changed. That he intends to change our world, not through individual Christians who have individual causes, but through his church. I want to get in on what he is doing through his... The day Jesus gives up on the church, I will. And he hasn't yet. He hasn't. He hasn't given up on his bride. So maybe you're thinking about, Brad, the church is so messed up. And filled with so many messed up people. Mm -hmm. What are we supposed to do? Point number two. Your church family is filled with sinners who still sin in surprising and shocking ways. (laughs) Yeah, how about that? Is it just me? Or has anybody else run into the sin of saints In the church and been hurt by anybody else run into sin in the church. You're like, wait a minute, I'm in the church. That's not supposed to happen. We just hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, you run into sin in the family of God, and that's why so many people can be down on the family of God because they ran into the sin of saints, and it smells no better than regular sin, and it hurts no less than regular sin. And it causes no less confusion than regular sin. I I laugh whenever I hear people talk and write. and We got to get back to the New Testament church. We just need to get back to the New Testament church. What they mean is this is a mess. And that was so glorious. And I'm always like, are you reading the Bible that I'm reading? What is your problem? philippi he actually paul writes and names two women he names names and says phoebe and sanctity tell them to get along calls out two women by name had to be awkward i mean was sure i'm sure it was over something in the nursery or vbs that's where it all goes that's where it goes sideways she wanted gift bags like this and she didn't want them like that and whoo they ain't speaking now vbs is where it happens He calls out names in Philippi and says, get along, ladies. In Corinth, he says, you got a man sleeping with his father's wife and you're doing nothing about it. In Corinth, he says, you got rich people showing up for the feast of love communion. They used to bring food and make it a whole meal. And some are getting drunk and overeating and poor people don't even have enough. He writes the church in Thessalonica and says you got people that are freeloaders that keep taking the benevolence and they won't work. Tell them if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. He writes the church in Galatia and says don't turn back from the free grace of the gospel to law. Don't go back to the law. He writes the church in Colossae and says what is your problem? You're talking about dreams and visions and angels and saying there's something greater than Jesus. There is nothing greater than Jesus. Every church was a mess filled with sinners who still sinned in surprising and shocking ways. But the Apostle Paul did not give up on the church. The Holy Spirit hasn't given up on the church. And our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, has not given up on the church. He gave his life for the church, and he loves her today. 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 See, if you're not careful, your knee-jerk reaction can be, I understand. I didn't come here to get sinned against, Brad. I can get enough of that in the marketplace at work. I can get enough of that with my dysfunctional, messed up, broken biological family every Christmas and Thanksgiving. I didn't come here to get sinned against. If it happens here, I'm out because I can't take that. I can't handle that. Listen, the family of God. Two things that that all the New Testament continues to call us. Saints. You're like, we're already saints. And sinners. Both. Sinner saints. Sinners saved by grace. But the sin part is just not gone yet. Sinners saved by grace. Who've been given a new identity in Christ. But this side of heaven, you guys... Our sin will keep showing up in shocking and surprising ways. Now, don't hear me saying we should just turn it into a sin fest and no one's doing anything about it. He's given us all kinds of guidelines of what to do when you're sinned against. You go one-on-one. You don't slander. You've got church leaders that ultimately when someone just keeps saying, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I'm going to keep just sleeping with half the women in the church. We do church discipline and we put them out. He's given us guidelines how to address the sin, but he never promised it just won't happen here. Sinners saved by grace. So don't lose heart if you're saying, oh my goodness, Brad, is there any hope or good news as to how this church family can function better than my biological family that's so messed up and broken? Yes, that's what the letters of the New Testament are all about. All about how this family can function in supernatural ways. As we invest in the only forever family that will ever be. And so with the time that remains, we're going to leave these three little verses. I'm going to take you some other places in your Bible. So I hope you got a Bible with you. Because I want to show you some, not everything, but just some of what God has given us as to how can we function? How can we stay together? How will this thing keep from just blowing up? How can we function better than the world And interact supernaturally with each other. Number three, your church family is a place to experience grace. There is grace here, you guys. Even with sinners, even with brokenness, there's grace. He says in 1 Peter 4 that every believer is a steward of the variegated grace of God. Grace comes through believers in different ways through different believers. When you pull back and cut yourself off and say, I'm done with the church, you also cut yourself off from a place of grace. There is grace. But it's also a place that he intends for us to learn how to love. Learn how to love. Turn to 1 Peter 4. Let me show you what I'm talking about in 1 Peter 4. I don't hear pages flipping. 1 Peter 4. Or at least let me hear your fingers swiping your little app in your lap. Make it sound like you're going there. And not to update Facebook, but to look at God's word. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. Look at this. The end of all things is at hand. You guys, look at me. We are in the last days. So if if you've been saying, I'm going to get really serious when we get in the last days. I'm going to start living for what matters most. I'm going to get more focused. That would be now. That would be right now. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore... In light of that, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Verse 8, above all. Oh, wow. I want to make note of anything like that in the Bible. The Bible tells us a lot of things, right? And sometimes we start to think, how do I prioritize? I can't focus on everything at once. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Where should I start? Here you go. Every now and then he gives us an above all. Above all. And then notice the verb tense coming up next. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So he doesn't say, oh, here's how to not have sin. You're going to have it. How are you going to know what to do with it? How are you going to press through this? Okay. Above all. Not your end time charts. Not whatever cause has you marching in the street. Not whatever else you think you should be so all about. If you lose this, if you miss this, then you're not getting your marching orders from your Lord Jesus Christ. Above all, keep loving each other earnestly. See, here's the deal. Human beings do not have a problem Falling in love, right? Oh, it's there. I got a feeling I've never had before and it's for you. Wow, amazing. They have no problem starting to love a new job, a new place, a person. What's the incredible challenge? Continuing to love after you've been hurt. You've been disappointed. You see things about them you didn't see before. You're like, oh, dear me. That's why so much of the secular songs are all about, right? Falling out of love. I fell out of love. You've lost that loving feeling. I don't have it. I either have it or I don't. And usually don't. Which is why people just go from relationship to relationship to relationship, never understanding Wherever you land next, you landed with a sinner. You can say it with a hiss. Sinner. And so just hang out with them long enough and you will see the sin. You will experience the sin. You will be surprised, yea, verily shocked about certain things. Keep loving each other earnestly. Peter packs the granddaddy of all Greek words for love... ...twice into that one verse in verse 8. Agape. 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 And then... ...he ramps it up by adding the word earnestly. Some of you have the word fervently. That is the Greek word ektiene... ...that meant to the picture of a horse stretched out in full gallop. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's quite spectacular... I'm not a super horse guy, but every time I see it, I'm moved. To see a horse stretched out, muscles rippling in full gallop. In other words, my first response is supposed to be that I would jump onto my stallion of love and gallop across. I mean, not trot, not canter, gallop across that hurtful moment between you and me. Cover it with love. I jump on my stallion of love and I spank his flank and we stretch it out and we go. That should be my first thought. Can I cover this with love? Can I cover this with love? Can I just let this go? Can I let it go? Can I let it go? Can I let it go? It's not supposed to be. I need to tell you every time you hurt me. If you're in a relationship like that, it's pretty miserable, isn't it? You did it again. You do realize you're so selfish. Let me help you. I'll point it out every time it happens. There's a place for rebuking each other, guys. But he says, start by seeing if you could jump on your stallion of love and just say, you know what? I don't know what's going on with them. But until that characterizes them, until I say, wow, this is just happening five times a day, I'm going to gallop over it with love and assume the best. Is that radical? Oh, yeah, are we supposed to live radically different than the rest of the world? Oh, and here's what you might be thinking. Could that put you at risk? The human being always said, but what if I, what what if I, what if I, I, yeah, what if? When you're in a relationship with Jesus and he's your lover and he's filling your love cup, you're able to take a risk. You can risk loving and galloping across Hurts. earnestly, fervently. It doesn't sound half-hearted at all, does it? It doesn't sound like you should throw in the towel quickly and easily and give up on someone. No. You see, God has called us to love each other deeply. Letter B. God has called us to love each other deeply even when you're not feeling it anymore. Jump over to Romans 12. Let me show you. Letter B in the outline, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Right there, that word for love is agape. Granddaddy of them all. The way God loves us. The word agape was a love that was characterized by, you ready? setting aside your own rights and privileges to do what would be good for someone else. Oh my goodness. Do we need a little more of that today? Real love, agape love. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly love. Here's what he's done. The Holy Spirit to drive this home to us, you guys, has packed three of the four words in the Greek language for love all into this one verse. Three of the four words for love are all here. Agape, let your agape, giving for the needs of another, setting aside your own rights and privileges. But what about me? But what about me? But what about me? Let your agape love be genuine. And then he says, brings a second love. When he says, love one another, verse 10, that's the word philostorge, family love, the love of a mother and father for their children. Well, that's tight. If you've got any kids, then you know. Like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I could love anything or anyone quite like this. Which also means, I hope you've learned, I didn't know I could hurt quite like this, right? These two things go together. When you truly love, it means you could truly hurt Because you care so much. Philostorge, mom and dad love for kids, but he's not done. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. The ESV doesn't use the word love, but that word affection, brotherly affection, that's the Greek word for love, Philadelphia. The love that siblings in the same biological family have for each other. So here we've got agape, the love like God loves us. We've got philostorgay the love like a mom and dad have for their own children. And we've got Philadelphia, the love that siblings. I know when they're younger, good news to some of you that just have young kids. I thought they hated each other. They do not. Oh my goodness, my five adult kids now. Even the ones that, you know, I won't name names, but there's certain people that we all thought were going to lose our mind over you. And they love each other. I mean, my five adult kids love each other. Other, sibling love, mom, dad love, sibling love, God love. The Holy Spirit says bring all of that to the family of God. Don't save that just for biological family. Bring it all to the family of God. Bring it here. Bring it here. That kind of love here. The only word for love that doesn't get used in this verse is eros, sexual, romantic love. He says you can leave that at the door, but bring the rest here. Don't think that's just for my, quote, real family, my biological family, my blood family. So here's the question then. Why all this emphasis on love in the family of God? It's not just because, oh, because people need it so desperately. They come in so broken and hurting. That's true. You guys, there's something bigger There's something bigger at stake. Why does the New Testament emphasize so much love? Mom and dad love. Sibling love. Agape love. Giving for the needs of another. What's at stake and why does the New Testament talk about it so much? You ready? Jesus said that the greatest apologetic for the power of of the gospel that will get the world's attention. We're trying to get the world's attention, right? They look right past us. They discount us. They marginalize us. What is it that will get the world's attention about the power of the gospel is how we say it, love each other. How we love each other. How we love each other. Not how we rail against cultural issues. Trust me, I have concerns and I want to do what I can to make a difference and speak out. But it doesn't say, That's, that'll get the world, look at how they hate. Oh man, they're good at this. No, no. Not how we rail against cultural issues. And oh my goodness, you guys, please, please, please. Not how we devour other Christians publicly online. You guys, this past year, my heart broke in a way that it hasn't broke before. I I know I'm working with sinners and I know we're all still sinners saved by grace, but the level of Christians devouring each other publicly was one of the worst things that could have ever happened for the cause of Christ. Christ. If you don't sense that, then you need to read your whole Bible again and get a hold of that. we got too many Christians that think, oh, but truth, facts, truth, facts. Truth without love is nothing. Facts without love is nothing. And devouring each other over cultural issues is one of the worst things for the cause of Christ. Love. You say, but they don't think what I think. I only love people that think like I... That's the point. If you can only love those who are in your tribe and just like, it, I would never have chosen her for a friend. Uh-huh. Well, is, you know, did you get to pick Uncle Freddie at Christmas? He's your uncle. That's what the family of God's like. The Holy Spirit is choosing who to bring into the family God, and He didn't ask your approval or your permission. There they are. And He's called us to love. Each other, and when it really matters, is when you say, "Ugh, I, like, oh, not so much." Yeah, that's when you reach down deep and say, "Oh God, help me!" Now you don't have to tell them. I'm asking God for help with you, my friend. Woo! <laughs> I'm asking for a supernatural kind of thing to happen here because woo, you're a piece of work, and you're in my small group. But that's when it really matters, right? That's when it matters. If you can't love anyone but who you would have chosen that all match the Enneagram with you, we're all sevens. We love each other. Seven, seven, seven. Please stop. Diversity, diversity, and then love. And the world says, we know how to do clustering up in tribes, and we love each other because we all agree. How do you do that? How do you do that? You see, it's worth noting, I like last things. I like last words from the deathbed, last letter. I had a letter from my father's father that arrived to me after he died. He wrote it in the hospital with cancer and then it arrived. That's pretty cool. It meant way more to me what he had to say to me. You guys, Jesus' final sermon that goes from John 13 to John 17 in the upper room with his disciples i want to make a note of what does he emphasize it's his last time with his disciples what would he emphasize well a he got up and he laid aside his outer garment and he picked up the bowl and towel and water and washed their feet that's worth noting including the feet of who okay wow but then he said this in john 13 A new commandment I give to you, that you say it, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Two words. By this, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have Love for one another. But let's be honest. It's hard, right, to keep loving after you've been hurt, after you've been disappointed, after you get disillusioned. And so if you're not careful, this is the human tendency. If you're not careful, you can just decide, I will never hurt again because I will never risk loving again. I'm just going kind to of pull back, play it safe, guard my heart. If you do that, my friend, by God's grace, I'm so grateful. He's helped me not do that. He's helped my sweet wife not do that yet. That's even bigger. I watch friends that I have that have been in ministry forever. The wife sits down front. Then she sits in the middle. Then she sits in the back. Then she just doesn't attend. I have pastor friends whose wives do not attend the church anymore. They've been hurt so many times. And they've watched their husband get hurt so many times they're done. By God's grace, my sweet little Vicky is not done. And I'm not done. And I'm not tooting our own horn. I'm just saying, just like when I t- try to tell you how I give money away and how I do this and how I try to read my Bible and move the alarm to the other side of the room, I'm just trying to tell you, I struggle just like you do. And I'm still here. And I want you to to grab hold of God's word and and ask God's spirit to fill you so that you can persevere likewise because we need each other and the world needs to see the church, not individual Christians running around that have their own cause doing their own thing, the church of Jesus Christ still loving each other while they proclaim the gospel message that he can change your life. The answer is not to pull back, shut down, guard your heart. You'll become someone very different than he's called us to be. C.S. Lewis describes the temptation to do that and the problem. Listen to what he says. And this is in his book, Four Loves. He says, quote, there is no safe investment. Look at me. You know what he means? You ha- so many people want a real friend. Guess how you get a real friend? By being real and revealing yourself. Is that a risk? Could that real friend now hurt you? Bingo. We got people who are desperate for deep, real friendship, but they live guarded lives. They won't show themselves. We have people who are desperate for an intimate marriage, but they live guarded lives. They will not trust. We have people who are desperate for intimate relationships in a church, but they live guarded. I know it's hard, you guys, but you will not have real love if you pull back and shut down And guard. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin. Of your selfishness, but in that casket, it will change. It will not be broken, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations. Perturbation just means agitations, difficulties, is hell. Real love is not safe, you guys, but it's what he calls us to, and he'll give us what we need. I I hope you realize the Christian life itself is not a life of safety, right? It's a life of risk, 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 but we can because of what he's done for us, and he lives in us, and I have an identity, and I have resources that are greater than my own, but see, if you're here just pretending to be a Christian, this will make no sense to you. Like, not going to happen. But when you've been born again and you're in the kingdom and the Holy Spirit lives in you and his word is alive to you and you have direct access to his throne day or night with a high priest, Jesus Christ, you can risk, you can risk, you can risk and you can move forward after you've been hurt. God's called us to keep loving because he's promised to keep giving us everything we need to persevere you say well what is that if pulling away shutting down guarding my heart is not the answer what is Brad I'm glad you asked because now we get to talk about something the world does not have and the world sometimes freaks out when they see Christians do it and say you can't do that that's not right you can't do that you shouldn't do that it makes no sense to them It's something they don't have because of someone they don't have. They don't have Jesus. Here it is. God calls us to forgive each other one time, and after that, you can hate them. No. Forgive each other continually because of how He's forgiven us. Jump over to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let me show you what I'm talking about beginning in verse 12. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. All right, that it sounds like I might, a load of your stuff might just land on me. I just got a load. Yeah, bearing with one another. It's gonna happen. Bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against... What? You mean a Christian would have a complaint against another Christian? Yes. When you read the Bible, it's glorious. I never read the Bible and think, I wish it was more relevant for what's happening today. I always read it and say, oh my goodness, it's, it's like he knows who we are, what we're going to face. He's anticipated it, and he's given us what we need. He's way out ahead of us. If, if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also might ponder doing if you feel like it. Considering what the issues were and what your best friend thinks over lunch. Now, so you also what? Say it louder. Must do. After being a pastor for 35 years, there's a couple things that still really burden me. The lack of praying Christians, doesn't matter how much I talk about it, just... And the number of people who say they're a Christian and think it's okay that they won't forgive someone. Yikes. Yikes. So you also must, must do... Not because they deserve it. It's right here is why. Because of how he's forgiven you, which every time I run into it and they're like, ah, oh, 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 whatever. It makes me think you do not really understand how he's forgiven you, what he's forgiven you. And if you don't, and maybe you're just not a Christian because when you know, oh, my goodness, he's forgiven me all my sins, past, present, future, I will not go to hell. The wrath of God was poured out on him. My sin was put on him. And my slate's been wiped clean. And the righteousness of Jesus has been given to me as if it's mine. And I have a robe of righteousness now. I've been adopted as a daughter or son into his family and it can never be taken away from me. Yes, I'll forgive you. And when Christians are like, I don't think so then I think it's right to ponder, do you understand any of all this that I just walked through? So you also must forgive. Now watch this in verse 14. We got it again, a priority. And above all, oh wow, just like in First Peter 4, 8, above all put on love. You realize the Bible talks that way a lot. You're like, that's kind of weird. I want you to think of going to your closet. I went to my closet last night. I pick out my clothes the night before. I put my socks and my shoes and underwear and my belt and a little shirt and pants. Why would you live any differently? And there it is. And I selected this shirt. I thought about it. I checked the weather app. What's the weather going to be like? And I chose this. And I put it on this morning sometimes I reconsider, I don't love, and I have to go back. But today, I I liked it. He's saying you can do that with love. Do you realize? It's not like, well, I just checked, and I don't think I have it. It's just you either have it or you don't. He's saying put on love. Put like you choose it as a garment, which helps us realize it's not just a feeling. It's a choice of how I'm going to relate to you, which gets us back to agape. It's laying aside my rights and my privileges to do what would be good for you instead of me. Oh, can you do that without a feeling? Hello? Is that hard? Would you love to have a feeling that goes with it? Sure. But you can love. You choose it. You put it on. He says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This passage starts out, And ends with love. But there's something in the middle. That is essential if you want to keep love alive. You guys. Real love and forgiveness go together. We've got Christians that desperately want the real love part. And they treat forgiveness as as if it's optional. Guys. Guys forgiveness is what keeps real love alive. And if you're in a marriage where you say it's not there, I suspect if I sat with you and listened, you would have a history of not forgiving each other, not reconciling, not making things not right, not humbling yourself, not asking for forgiveness, not owning your sin, and hello, you've arrived in a loveless marriage. Forgiveness is what keeps love alive alive, not just in a marriage, but in a friendship and in a church family. I would say to you this way, forgiveness is the oxygen in the lungs of any loving relationship. Here's how it works. You breathe in the mercy of God and you excel forgiveness to those around you. I breathe in mercy. I know I'm forgiven. His mercies are what? New every morning. I, I get his mercy and therefore I can extend forgiveness. I get his mercy and I can extend forgiveness. I get his for, forgiveness is the oxygen in the lungs of a loving relationship. And when forgiveness stops, listen to me, that relationship will be on life support and will eventually just die. And then people say, well, we just don't love each other anymore you stopped forgiving or you never started forgiving. See, our world thinks, oh, find the right person, do the right test. If you find the right person and it's real love, it'll just, they do ridiculous things like I'm gonna date myself, but in the 70s, there was a a movie called Love Story. What was that statement that just got put on towels and T-shirts and posters? Love is never having to say. That's a good way to have a terrible relationship. When you're wrong, it's like, oh, and it's so real. We just read each other's mind. I don't even have to say sorry. She knows I'm sorry. No, she doesn't. She wants to hear you say, I was an idiot in the kitchen. I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? Not saying you're sorry, not asking forgiveness, not owning your sin, not humbling yourself is a way to not have a love story. This is radical. Even like with the Beatles, love is all you need. No, love is all we want, but Paul, and I do like them, Paul McCartney, if you want real love, I'm trying to help some of you young people. Everyone should know this, but if you want real love, Paul, you actually got to have three other things. Behind real love is forgiveness. You can't forgive unless you got the gospel, and you don't have the gospel unless you have Jesus. There are actually four things you need. You need Jesus, the power of the gospel, The choice to forgive and then you will have love. Love is not all you need. It's all we want. And it's possible. It is possible in your family, biological, and in the church family. But it is not sustainable without forgiveness. You can't treat forgiveness as optional. Nowhere in the Bible is it a suggestion... It's commanded repeatedly. It's commanded. It's commanded. It's commanded because you can't keep love alive without it. Vicky and I are about to celebrate 35 years of marriage. Yeah, still love each other. But, oh, listen to me. The reason we still love each other is because we've practiced, not like in the early. It was rough in the early days. We had to forgive each other. And now we're just riding the wave of love. She never hurts me. I never hurt her. Oh, my goodness. We had a big meltdown just recently. Yes. But she said she's sorry. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Can't do that in the second service because she'll be here. (laughs) Now, it was actually my fault. But I'm telling you what, guys. It takes time, but it's worth it. I owned it, and I asked for forgiveness. But she came back to me the next day and sat me down, and she said, "I I need your help. You can't do that. And I didn't hit her and I didn't use profanity to be what I did just crushed her. And she said, I need you, Brad. I need you. That just wiped me out. You can't do it. She helped me understand what I'd done even better. Is that fun? I was like, I think we talked about this. Please stop talking. Please stop. I sat there and I took it and I was like, okay, I had really hurt her. But then we walked away and there was nothing between us. And now we're still loving. That's how you keep love alive. You keep forgiving each other. We've continued to experience forgiveness and extend forgiveness to each other. Therefore, we love each other 35 years later. These two things go together, you guys. But as we close, I want to bring it back to our Savior. Because when you look at the cross, you see forgiveness and love. These two things together. Forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and love. I already quoted John 13 where he says, A new commandment I give you that you love. By this they'll know you're my disciples. You guys, if you keep reading from John 13, you'll see just 12 hours later, just 12 hours later, the night of his abuse and crucifixion, Jesus was arrested tried by a puppet court in the middle of the night, spat on, mocked, stripped, and then nailed naked to a cross like a common criminal. And from that cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. Love and forgiveness. In his commentary on John 13, Skip Ryan says, I am convinced That the most subtle temptation in our lives is not this or that obvious or gross thing. But the desire to be normal. Jesus calls us to lives that are not normal. It's not the normal life of having rights, of doing what we want to do, of building up our own prosperity, or being the person we want to be. When we follow Christ's example, we don't get normal. We get him. What do you have today? Do you have normal? Are you fighting hard for normal? Or do you have him? And listen to me. When you have him. I mean, he's real to you. You're intimate with him. You know him. You love him. You delight in him. When you have him, you never want normal again. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for giving us regularly moments where this is not what we would think. This is not what we would do. This is not what we would choose. But it's what you've called us to. Oh, God, would you give us the courage to follow you and to risk Loving each other, forgiving each other, forbearing with each other so that we can put on display to a broken, hateful, confused, dark world. What real love looks like that is empowered by the gospel that was purchased by Jesus, Jesus That there might be more that would come to faith in him. Use us not to be normal. But to be part of your glorious demonstration. Of what you can do. Because of your son. We ask in Jesus name. Amen.